Society, Eve Harrow, Director of Tourism and Community Development for Winnesville Fund. It is October 20th, 2022. The Jewish holidays, the six months of Jewish holidays, or it seems like it, are over. And we're back to, hopefully, regularly scheduled business, which of course means some violence here, some elections there, some other crazy stuff, because we just live in this eye of the storm. Um, for those of you who are just joining us tonight and aren't familiar with What Is All Fund, we are the premier organization who are helping to develop and sustain the communities in Judea and Samaria. Um, from cat, from security cameras to ritual baths to kindergarten equipment, playgrounds, whatever it is, um, take our donors around, partner with them, partner with other organizations, and really solidified life in the hills for the close to 10% of Israelis who have chosen to live in Judea and Samaria. And just by that, of course, making an incredibly important and huge statement. So part of what we do, in addition to that, is also run trips. And um, as an Israeli tour guide, I'm privileged to be able to do that. Our next trip is coming up on Thursday, November 24th, which is Thanksgiving weekend. So if you're in Israel, if you're in the country, they run them in English. This one is actually not going to uh, Judea and Samaria. We're going to be coming to Ashkelon and looking over the tell of ancient Ashkelon, the tremendous layers of history there, because one of the things that we also do is help sustain the communities around the Gaza area, which of course has also been a hotspot, and where many of the Jews who used to live in Gaza now live outside of Gaza. So we've maintained contact with them, and that's something that I don't want us to forget about. So that's going to be part of the tour. Flyers coming out in a couple of days, so be sure and sign up. We also have a mission uh, to Judean Samaria and parts of the Negev in early November, although I think it is sold out or close to it. So if that's something that interests you, please be in touch with the office. We've also been doing these webinars already for the, over the last two years, have some had some fabulous guests, although I think tonight's is going to be the most fabulous, including former prime minister, members of Knesset, many, many journalists and many people of interest who have a lot of very fascinating things to say. My only requirement for interviewing them is that they're in Israel. Not such a bad thing, I think, to do. Uh, so that is also on our website, as well as many virtual tours, interviews that I've been having with people who live on, in different communities, uh, the businesses they run, the kids at risk that they help, the wineries that they have founded, uh, just to connect you with what's going on here. Many of you I know haven't been here in a long time, or at least not as often as you'd like to be, and haven't been around, and uh, so we definitely want to keep you connected. So thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with one of my favorite people, Ruthie Bloom. We even had a chance a few years ago to work together for a very brief year, and that was great. Ruthie Bloom is a columnist with the Jerusalem Post and the Jewish News Syndicate. You've read her, even if you don't remember that you've read her. She's originally from New York City, moved to Israel in 1977, lives in Tel Aviv, a longtime editor and writer for various publications. She's also a regular commentator on life in Israel and U.S.-Israel relations. And I have to say, really one of the most astute commentators and judges of the different things going on, which is why our conversation today, I think it's gonna take a few different directions. She also wrote a book 10 years ago, To Hell in the Handbasket, I can't believe it's 10 years already, To Hell in the Handbasket, Carter, Obama, and the Arab Spring, describing the way in which then US President Barack Obama was finishing the job of radicalizing the Middle East that former President Jimmy Carter had started. Aren't we lucky that all that is in the past and everything now is just like rolling around. So Ruthie, thank you so much for joining me here in Israel. Of course, it's the evening um, on this one Israel Fun webinar. Thank you so much, Eve, for having me. And it's great to be back working with you again, so to speak. So many things going on uh, and you've written about virtually everything. Um, why don't we start with something that appears to be very much uh, pushed or uh, even led by women, even though I'm not so sure that that's true. And that's, of course, what's going on in Iran for whatever we know. And I know that as a journalist, you have a lot of contacts and maybe you can share with us something that most people don't know. Uh, is this like a serious uprising in Iran? Is there a chance here that there'll be some kind of regime change? This one finally seems to be a serious one. Um, not that I'm minimizing how serious the previous, previous ones were. It's just that they were quashed very quickly. And this mm -hmm. one is going on and on. And another thing, another reason that I'm uh, more optimistic than I was in the past is that uh, this time there are forces, uh, Iranian security forces, uh, that seem to be joining the protesters. There oh. are high up officials who are absconding with their money, for example, things like that. 
It's not that I'm a big expert on what is going on exactly in Iran. It is true that I know people who have been reporting little bits, whatever is coming out of Iran. Mm-hmm. But notice how many weeks this has already been going on. Uh, that is encouraging. Now, it's true that it started with women um, because it's almost like the hijab revolution. Right, because, right. Because um, a woman was beaten to death for not wearing her hijab properly. By the way, I think she was wearing a hijab. She just wasn't wearing it properly. And she mm-hmm. was a tourist in Tehran from another part of Iran with her family. She was grabbed off of the street, shoved into a van. Uh, she was beaten and taken off for, you know, I don't know, re-education or something. And then it turns out she was dead not quite clear at what point she was dead in the hospital mm-hmm. or in that van already, but it's sort of irrelevant. The point is that this spurred what's going on now and it picked up momentum because even though the Iranian forces were shooting at them, doing their usual bit and arresting them and sending them to re-education camps and torturing them in prison, they haven't given up yet. Now, if you compare this to 2009, a woman also, a woman's death also sparked uh, the mass protests in a way. No, what the cause of that, of those protests, were the stolen election by uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Um, the green candidate apparently won that election and Ahmadinejad declared victory and so did the Ayatollah Khamenei. And that was the end of that. And that caused people to take to the streets. And in one of those protests, a young woman was walking by, Neda Sultan, and she was shot down by besiege militias. And her death and the picture of her dying and bleeding went around the world. It went viral on the web and in newspapers and everything. It was, it was uh, and, and everyone said, we are all Neda, but, it, the, but the revolution died down because the regime was too strong. But that's right. not the only reason. And here's an important point. Another reason was that Barack Obama had uh, just entered the White House a few months earlier and made a point of outreach to the radical Muslim world mm-hmm. and was pushing for the famous Iran deal that we now have. And his whole administration was saying, no, no, we want them to have a robust election and we're not going to interfere in their robust debate uh, using Western terms to talk about this evil regime. And so there was no real support from the West for those protesters and the protest died. Mm-hmm. So are we, now is that a risk with who, what's going on with today's American administration? Because you have Carter, of course, who starts the whole thing in Iran by completely misreading and misjudging the Shah, totally. who was not one of the 36 righteous people on the planet, but considering what came after him, So that was Carter. And that's the book that you wrote, Carter and Obama. Are we in three here? Well, there's the danger, because what we have in the White House now is a clone of the Obama administration um, begging that regime to come back to the table and sign a a new version of the JCPOA, uh, a new and improved version, so to speak, of the JCPOA, which is complete bull, first of all. You cannot negotiate with terrorists and you certainly cannot negotiate with a with state run terrorism. Okay, we know that it's been proven again and again. There is no negotiating with them because whatever happens, you end up uh, kowtowing to them. And anyway, they don't keep their uh, they don't honor their deals and they don't have to because they suffer no consequences. So that's one thing. And, And even though Biden is paying lip service to these protesters. Yes, we support the women of Iran, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, He's not really doing anything except saying, we still think that negotiating with the regime is the best policy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as as an Iranian, I just want to add one more thing. One Iranian pointed out very astutely uh, on social media that the trouble is that a nuclear Iran is not the only danger. The regime in Iran right now is a danger even without nukes. So I was gonna ask you how this affects Israel. Is this something that, I mean, it seems like most Israelis would say if there's regime change, 
then maybe we won't, Iran won't shoot a nuclear weapon here, which is, of course, the big, the big concern that Israel has. But something that you just said made me think about something else, actually, where you said that we shouldn't negotiate with terror states. But another topic, and if we're, you know, if we pretty much know now what's going on in Iran is, of course, is Lebanon. Exactly. And this deal, maybe you can explain to people who aren't so familiar that Israel signed an agreement now, if it goes through, with Lebanon. But who's Lebanon? Isn't Hezbollah, which is essentially a terror arm of Iran, running Lebanon? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it, Lebanon is a failed geographical entity that, uh, that pretends to be a state. And, and Hezbollah terrorizes Lebanon just the way it terrorizes everybody else. Um, and the president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, is about to end his term at the end of this month and has no replacement. So the Israeli government's uh, excuse for rushing this through, this maritime deal through, uh, and it's important to note that this maritime deal is awful. And it's awful because for 10 years, Israel has been trying to demarcate this uh, maritime line and figure out what to do about the gas on either side of the line. And basically right. this government just capitulated on every single point. And it's pretending, hmm. lying about it, claiming that that's not what it's doing. And claiming that in any case, what's in the agreement is that the United States will guarantee that Israel <laughs> is safe and also will receive revenues from the gas that, Le that Lebanon uh, extracts. So we know what it's like with an administration like this in Washington. I wouldn't want to count on guarantees of any kind from mm -hmm. But the main point is that the negotiating with Lebanon, the whole reason that Israel said we're rushing this through is because the Lebanese president is going to be out at the end of the month. And guess what is also happening at the end of this month or the first of next month? The Israeli oh, elections. Exactly. So this is an interim government acting like, okay, we better rush this through because we might not be here next week. It's appalling. It's just appalling. Well, that's what has a lot of Israelis upset. Does this government have the legitimacy to make a deal with incredibly far-reaching ramifications, not just security-wise, but... We're talking billions and billions of potential dollars, right? I mean, divide who gets which natural gas field is, is huge potential there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You do not rush deals like this. This is a huge deal. Mm -hmm. You don't rush it through. And the joke is that the government isn't even hiding that. They're saying, but yes, we had to do it because... Michelle Aoun won't be there, you know, in two weeks, and neither will we, or we might not. And by right. that time, they said, by that time, it'll be too late. What kind of logic is that to enter into an, a deal that has long-term repercussions, seriously? Mm -hmm. And by the mm -hmm. way, I would like to add, okay, the energy, Israel's energy minister and the outgoing government, among other uh, members of this government, was against extracting uh, natural gas in the first place. Um, this was a group because, of politicians because- Environmental reasons? Um, environmental reasons, also because it was uh, something that Netanyahu was responsible for, uh, the previous prime minister, but it's the, it's the environmentalists. It's like in, uh, in America with fracking. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, our energy concerns are less important than uh, you know, I, I, our, our, our wealth and, and ab ability to afford our energy, energy is less important than some idea about the planet, which isn't even proven and, you know, this whole idea. But once it was established that this, these uh, gas rigs are important and because Hezbollah wants its uh, hands on it, Mm -hmm. Suddenly, suddenly, those, those same members of the government who opposed extracting gas in the first place are all gung-ho and taking credit for it. So, you know, a lot of mm -hmm. parallels, a lot of parallels with the United States, I would say. Mm -hmm. 
But given where we are on the world map, I and mean, this is something that Israel was also hoping, at least if we have more exports, to be able to kind of connect ourselves with Europe, right? With Greece, with Italy. And that rolls us into the next topic because of what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine and some of the shortages that are going on in Europe because their supply of fuel. And let's not forget, I mean, here in Israel, it's still pretty warm, although it's starting to rain. We're getting the oreh, which is great in Israel because you pray for rain and then it shows up. You're like, well, this actually, this actually works sometimes. Yeah. But in, let's face it, in Europe, in parts of the United States, whatever, but in Europe especially, because that's what we're talking about, it's starting to get cold. So what do you think? I mean, how does this all tie together? Inevitably, all these different topics all somehow seem to tie together. Well, they are tied together. And I will say that there are a few real complications in the war in Ukraine. So let me start out by saying that, of course, uh, what Putin has done to innocent Ukrainians um, is just appalling. I mean, seriously, really, it, you know, I don't like to throw around the term war crime, but it really does appear that he's committed right. several so far. But I will say I do have a criticism of Ukraine, a separate criticism of the Ukrainian government. And that is that Ukraine is always opposes Israel at the UN. And then Zelensky uh, has the nerve really to blame Israel for not helping enough when Israel sent field hospitals to Ukraine and is, right. you know, Israelis are were draping themselves in the Ukrainian flag. And he says, no, you've got to sell me Iron Dome, you know, missile defense systems or otherwise mm -hmm. they're no good. We don't have enough. In the first place, we don't have enough. For ourselves. For ourselves. And right now, I would like to know if Zelensky would like to help us in our, in, in, in the, you know, missile launches against us by bloodthirsty mm -hmm. uh, Hamas terrorists, Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Interesting, we didn't ask for his help. Um, but the point is, we don't have enough. Uh, and we said, OK, we'll send you flak jackets and helmets and whatever we can do. And he said he, he, you know, stuck his nose up at that. So I'm not too happy with Zelensky at the moment. And Why do you think he's doing that, by the way? It's not like he's in general asking people who are specifically getting upset with Israel for not helping him enough. Maybe because Israel, I, you know, that's a, I would say that's a question for psychologists because... <laughs> Maybe, maybe Israel, Israel is like the battered wife or Israel is like the open door that you bang on. OK, mm -hmm. um, you, you know, feel guilty easily. I don't know. Or some, what it is. Yes. And maybe. right away you jump in to help the whole world. And then they say, oh, good. Let's put pressure on Israel because, you know, we haven't. And but as I said, I'm not saying that Israel shouldn't be trying to help the people of Ukraine. But here's the bigger problem. Russia is uh, there was a delicate balance that we had with Putin and he was uh, enabling us to conduct military operations in Syria against right. Hezbollah and actual Iranian targets, not just mm -hmm. Hezbollah as a proxy of Iran, but there were also Iranian troops at, in Syria. And Putin and Netanyahu had had several meetings and basically they sort of came to an tacit agreement that Putin wouldn't shoot down uh, Israeli warplanes over Syria. And that's a huge deal, number huge. one. Number two, Russia is, right now, Iran is supplying weapons to Russia in its fight against Ukraine. So, you know, we have to be careful. Israel has to be very careful because, because right now we have a government in Israel and a government in the United States that both believe that a deal with Iran is better than no deal with Iran. So, you know, this is a really tricky situation. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, this idea that somehow it's not that, you know, the idea that somehow, oh, no, we're supporting Russia. No, no. But what, what do we want? We want to have, you know, Russia has their Iranian bases in Syria on our border. Right. Now Hezbollah, right. we're making a deal with Lebanon. And it's like, what? Why don't we just invite the scorpion in to, uh, you know, it's mm -hmm. very dangerous, especially since we have Iranian funded terrorists also in southern in this along our southern border, not to mention inside 
our borders in Judea and Samaria. They're being funded indirectly and some directly by Iran. This is mm -hmm. extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, sometimes I think that people who check into our webinars, which are about once a month, should bring a map of the Middle East, unless they know it by heart. And take a look at our neighborhood, right? So we've got Lebanon just to the north and then Syria over at like two o'clock. And then we have Jordan that I'm not going to open my mouth about because <laughs> relatively yeah. right now it's quiet. And then yeah. um, continue. And then we've got over like on the kind of on the right hand side, a little off is Saudi Arabia, which is not the threat it used to be at the moment because they're as worried about Iran and even more worried than we are. So there's some quiet things going on there. Then if I continue down, we get to Egypt. Now, given that you're, you know, you wrote a book about the Carter administration, of course, that's what one of his big coups was the peace treaty, right, that Israel made um, with, uh, with Egypt. Any thoughts on, like, Egypt is being very quiet now, or not really? Or, or what do you, what yes. do you understand well, about that? That's, that's a tricky one also, because let me just say that to give Carter credit for the peace deal between Israel and Egypt is just ridiculous. It's in spite of Carter. And I'll tell you what I mean. It's a little bit similar to what's happening with the Biden administration vis-a-vis -vis the Abraham Accords, okay? Sadat, the uh, uh, Egypt's Anwar Sadat, who was later assassinated because of his making a peace deal with, with Israel, mm -hmm. he decided that he needed to get out of the Soviet axis and join the, the American axis. So far, so good, okay? And this was his way, and he came, you know, I'm going to shorten this, but he came to Jerusalem, he said, no more war, no more bloodshed, he came, addressed the Knesset. It was a huge step, okay? It was a, it was a hostile leader saying no more war with Israel. And he, because he felt it was in his interest to align himself with the United States, Israel's ally, okay? Carter ran to invite the Soviets into those negotiations, which is, so, so Sadat and Begin had to, to do this behind Carter's back. Why did I say this was reminiscent of what's happening with the Abraham Accords? Mm -hmm. The first summit in Israel with the signatories to the Abraham Accords, uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and the Prime Minister, uh, and at the time Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, invited the Palestinians, re, re, uh, brought up the very issue that was beautifully left out of those Abraham left out and they're bringing it back and let's put it front and center. Let's take this beautiful thing and let's smash it to smithereens. Because the Palestinians all along were invited to join the Abraham Accords, but they, they had to want to because the idea of those accords is not land for peace, it's peace for peace. It's in all of our interests to have peace and security and economic uh, and flourish economically and in the process, battle Iran. But here's the catch. The Palestinians don't want peace with Israel. They want to destroy Israel. A, B, they don't want to shun Iran. C, they have, their, their aim is not flourishing economically because if it were, they all would be living in villas with swimming pools by now. If you calculated right now, the billions and billions of dollars, euros, and shekels that have gone into Gaza, uh, by the way, also into, uh, into Ramallah's pocket, but let's mm -hmm. just talk about Gaza for a minute, for so-called rehabilitation of Gaza, every single family in Gaza would have a villa and a swimming pool and maybe a, and a Mercedes parked outside. But instead, they live in crap other than their corrupt leaders because they because the money is not going to them, to their well-being right. or to their or to their uh, what do you call society building, you know, institution. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And so they couldn't be a partner to the Abraham Accords because they didn't want to be. So you have an administration in Washington saying, oh, great, wonderful. We have these Abraham Accords. 
Now let's see how we can screw them up. <laughs> because it was done by a different administration. Well, yeah. no, it's also an ideological thing, you see. Mm -hmm. Because the previous administration understood. I can say whatever you want to say about Donald Trump. And you might say that he was he's some kind of idiot savant. Or you might say he was very astute in the people he selected to advise him. Doesn't matter. He came in and he said, wait a second. No, no, no. And he simply did what he, he implemented one policy after the other. That was brilliant. Okay. Maybe in spite of himself, maybe by accident, maybe not by accident. <laughs> okay. I am thrilled. I was thrilled with him and I don't care. I, I, you know, I know he speaks in a vulgar way and all that, but the point being that he and Netanyahu were on the same page in terms of ideal worldview of, of how you achieve these goals of peace. Mm -hmm. And the Biden administration and the current Israeli prime minister have a different ideological view of that. Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so that, by the way, is what one of the things that the uh, November 1st Knesset elections are based on, will be based on. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one of the things, at least so far, that the Biden administration hasn't walked back is moving the American embassy to Jerusalem. But then you have what happened just a couple of days ago I mean, with Australia. Yeah, I mean, yeah. moving back to Tel Aviv. Right. Now, how does your read on what happened now with Australia? Who, well, forget the embassy, they're not okay. even recognizing West Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Right. Okay. So, first of all, I think that Biden wouldn't have dared do that. I mean, even in spite of the radical members of his cabinet, I think that the issue was too much of a consensus one in the United States altogether. And it, mm -hmm. became, it became an issue that they better not touch, okay? Especially okay. since it would have made, it's not the, the Jewish vote in America is, a, is, is minor. I mean, Jewish influence in terms of maybe donations to political candidates is high, but, but Jew, the Jewish vote is tiny. But evangelical right. Christians would have uh, gone ballistic if this administration mm -hmm. tried to, undo the that embassy move mm -hmm. Australia now I don't want to I don't pretend to know enough about Australia but I can tell you this okay the bottom line you asked me what happened there I'll tell you what right. happened there a left-wing government came in that's what happened there okay so wherever you know if that's the that's the short answer <laughs> that's what happened right. Right. So essentially, when we talk about left and right, we're not talking about we're not talking about economic reasons or things like that. The, the bottom line is a view of the world where the left feels that if you compromise, that's what's going to get you some kind of peace, whatever it is. And the people on the right are the more conservatives, if you will, small c, who actually read the room, listen to what the other side is saying and say, but that's not going to bring peace because that's not actually what they're after. Okay, so the only way that we're going to have quiet, which for me is just fine when it comes to peace, as long as there's no violence and no war, for me, that's peace, is by mutual interests. And if they're economic or if it's because there's a common enemy like Iran, so that's bringing us together with the Sunni yes. states, all well and good. And what you're saying is that the subs, even when you have like you have the Australian government, which was much closer to Israel, now you have a new government. That just un, un, is able to undo the pre, right. what the previous governments are doing, and here Absolutely. we are. Absolutely, and you know what? It's not just uh, the issue of realpolitik and all that. I think that there is a cultural element to the left wing to left wing politics that is often overlooked, and that is this uh, bowing down to the gods of victimhood. And when you have the bowing down to the gods of victimhood, you also often make a mistake about who the real victims are. But aside from that, what you do is you say, no, you're, you, you don't want to have real politique in which everyone's flourishing. What you want to do is spend all your time saying the Palestinians 
the, the plight of the Palestinians, the plight of the Blacks, the plight of women, the plight of gays. And what you do is you blame, first of all, you see the plight, and then you give lots of money to grant money, you, you award, you reward any academic institution that goes along with that. And then you say, you, you perpetuate the victimhood of your chosen victims. This may be why there are so many Holocaust museums all over the world. Possibly. And yet next to that, and even laws against, uh, you know, against anti-Semitism, or at least, you know, praising Hitler or something. And alongside that, because, you know, dead Jews were also victims and the Holocaust victimized you. And alongside that, championing, championing of Israel's sworn enemies, because live Jews, unlike the dead ones, mm -hmm. are oppressors. And mm -hmm. this situation, it's also cultural. It's not just political. It's, uh, it's something that has seeped into every area of the culture in such a way that many people who don't pay that much attention, they, they don't know that that's what's happening. They just mm -hmm. see it on television, every television show, every, I don't even oh mean the news. I don't mean the news. I mean sitcoms, I mean movies, I mean commercials, you know. Right. Um, and not everybody's Things a that animal, were there you know. but weren't legitimized or whatever it was have now become mainstream. And we're all supposed to accept that. Right. The new and reality. You, right. And you accept premises that are false to begin with. Mm -hmm. One of them being the key false premise that right now is being perpetuated everywhere is that poverty is responsible for terrorism. Right. You know how long they've been saying that and been proving it's not true? I mean, Osama bin Laden was from a rich, educated family. Many, 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 most of the terrorists in Israel, you know, it turns out they came from a nice home. They had, they went to college. They had, right. you know, it's not true. And so this idea that it's because of poverty and, oh, whose fault is the poverty? Our fault. So here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. We're going to make sure they have money. We've tried it. We, we give them more, let's say with the Palestinians, we, we need to give them more work permits to come into Israel to work. The Lebanese, mm -hmm. Lebanon is in terrible economic shape. If we just make sure that they can extract gas and get revenues, then they'll be flourishing and then they'll be our happy, friendly neighbors. It's insane because it's mm -hmm. not true. It's not true. Right. So one of the differences, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, between, let's say, the United States or the Western countries and Israel, is that it seems to me that the young people in Israel, those who are just now getting to vote, the 18-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, the early 30s, are moving more to the right as opposed to those in different countries in the West that are moving more to the left, like as a tour guide. So I guide a lot of different people from English speaking countries. And one of the things that they tell me, both Christians and Jews incidentally, is that their kids are getting more and more involved with, let's just call it for the sake of argument, the woke culture, yeah. okay? And leaving the Bible and leaving some of the conservative values. And, and it's astonishing actually how much common ground there is here between all religious parents, whether it's Jewish or whatever, or Christian. Oh, there's a lot of that happening with this. The kids are moving away from the values that their parents taught them. However, here in Israel, I'm not talking religiously. I'm talking about in terms of political leanings. It seems that it's, it's different. Now, I don't know if you agree with that statement. I mean, when I look at it, I think it's because, well, these kids grew up with Oslo. I mean, you know, they, all they've known in the last 30 years is uh, as an entity, not a state, but an entity that has just been used as a base for terror. And let's not forget the 2005 and the cherry on the cake, which is Hamas taking over Gaza. Um, so do you, do you see that? Do you see that disparity between the next generation here in Israel and the next generation in the West? Or you don't you see it differently? No, I think you're absolutely right about the difference in the age groups. Uh, and it could have something to do. It's not just that the kids in Israel grew up uh, after Oslo and, you know, watched their friends get blown up on buses and things like that. Right. Not just that, but also Israeli kids, you know, reach 18 years old. And they're not off to Harvard 
they're off. They are off to put on a uniform and serve mm-hmm. the country mm-hmm. and later go to college. Of course, there are exceptions, you know, and there. Uh, but but as a general rule, if it is still the case in Israel that it, that if you want to brag about your kids, you know, if you're or the kid wants to brag, he's first bragging about what army unit he's in way mm-hmm. before what he's studying in college or which college he goes to. Right. So uh, and then, you know, these kids go to the army and then they see firsthand. Not Mm -hmm. only that, I don't mean they only see firsthand that they see the enemy firsthand. I mean, they also see the way in which they are taught uh, the rules of engagement that Israel has, how to be careful not to Mm -hmm. kill anyone unnecessarily, how to be careful not to uh, incur collateral damage and kill innocent people, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're fighting, no matter. Mm -hmm. And think how awful it is for these kids, because they are kids, they're 18, you know, they're kids. And they're put in this situation where younger children, 13 year olds, 14 year olds are throwing bricks on them from a roof of a building. I'm not even talking about the actual wars in Gaza, for example. Right, in, right. I'm talking about the day-to-day guarding stuff or they're guarding and a car comes in, you know, to, to run them over. And they are told, now, wait, wait, don't, you know, don't shoot to kill just yet, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have, you have all the press say, oh, uh, these soldiers, they they just shot a child in uh, right. right a child. First of all, the soldiers aren't much older than those children, right? But I mean, these these dilemmas. Israel has faced these dilemmas always because Israel has mm-hmm. always been more moral, rightly so, than its enemies. Always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think it's is. I mean, I think it is getting reflected somehow in the, in in the ballot. Like the the kibbutznikim, yeah. the Labour Party yeah. people. I mean, we're seeing Labour and Merits, who are the left-wing parties. Um, if they, you know, if they pass, and they probably will, they're getting four, five, six, maybe seven seats. I mean, it's certainly far gone from the heydays of the Ben-Gurions, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And the right wing, which is all broken up into different kinds of parties, center and center right, um, if it would get its act together, should easily be able to form a government because it seems to me that that's where the majority of the country is going. That's an entire different question if we'll be able to do that. But does that give you any kind of hope in terms of Israel's future? Not necessarily this particular election or the next one that we'll probably have in six months or the one after that, another six months from there. <laughs> but in general, are Israelis, because we live in the Middle East and we can't wear the rose-colored glasses because we see what's going on around us and slowly, slowly that idea of we're not going to have peace the way the West thinks we're going to have peace. We're only going to be able to do it if we're strong and hand out, you know, hold out our hands in peace at all times, but also make clear that we've got red lines and aren't going to be crossed. Do you think that at least we're heading in a bigger picture in that direction or you're, you're concerned? Yeah, I, th- well, I think, I think uh, it depends what day of the week you ask me. about whether <laughs> okay. I'm optimistic, Okay. But totally in the your picture, I would say, and I say this about America, too, because I think America and Israel are the greatest countries in the world and that have had real uh, serious glitches, America even more so than Israel, in my opinion, um, that the pendulum swings, okay? Um, mm-hmm. So the way that I, I actually wrote a column when Trump was elected, nobody thought he was gonna get elected. In fact, when he ran in the Republican primary, uh, nobody thought he was gonna beat all those 16 other Republican right. candidates. Nobody thought so, including I believe himself. He, I don't believe he thought so. But I wrote a column saying, thanking Obama for Trump. And it wasn't, it, it was the radicalism in America that mm-hmm. I think Americans said we've had it, okay? Too much. He's yeah. going too far. I think he's really, there's, and then, then of course, Trump had his, his issues and then the woke culture took over. Right. And, you know, I th- and then in the midterms, I think that are coming up, Republicans are going to take the House and the Senate again. Did you think Probably. so? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's what I hear and maybe I'm wrong, but the point is mm-hmm. the pendulum swings. Back and forth. Mm-hmm. In Israel, we can 
we can uh, ill afford to let the pendulum swing too much in the other direction. Right. I don't think America can either in terms of its greatness, but we literally can't. I mean, right. we're, we're literally dead ducks mm -hmm. if we buy into too much wokeness. Literally not, you know, just it's how sad the decline of America. America's becoming Europe. Oh, oh, oh. Right. That's bad. But we are, our lives are on the line. And you, you said that viewers should take out a map. Right. And while they're at it, they should take a magnifying glass to, if they take an atlas, to take a magnifying glass to find the state of Israel. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. No, for us, it's existential. It really is. I mean, that's yeah. what it comes down to. It the is. wrong policy, like the expulsion from Gaza in 2005, um, or in my opinion, letting, you know, trading a thousand some odd terrorists for a soldier, as yeah. much as I would, as his parents, as Gilad Shalit's parents, I would have done the same exactly. thing if you don't want policy by somebody's parents. No, no, and exactly. happening, I, think, I think we're up to 30 people who've been killed by the terrorists that were let out. Okay, and they're Absolutely. just having to rearrest them. So right. you know, it's it's the price. It's the price paid. So what hasn't really made the news so much, not even here in Israel, is that for the last month or so, we've had uh, somewhat of an uprising. I hate to use the word intifada because I hate using terminology that someone else dictates. But we've had uh, kind of the beginnings of some kind of terror war, specifically in Judea and Samaria, to the point, and it galls me to, to do this and even to say it, that I've had to change up some of my touring. Because even though I would go to certain places on my own, I'm loath to take people if I feel that there's a chance, you know, like up to the area around Shechem, what's called Gavahar, which is an unbelievable area. And to go up there with the Bible in your hand, there's nothing like it. Mount Rizim and Itamar and Elon Moreh. But the, the stretch of road that goes up there has been really the scene of shootings, many miracles, shootings and mounds of cocktails. And it's been very tough. So what happened today, which was, I'm sure I know that you know about this, which was so egregious, is that our prime minister and defense ministers have said nothing in the last month. And final, and some people today got upset and were actually attacking soldiers, which is horrible. And everybody, some people in the Northern Shamran. And now there isn't one person that I know that didn't think that was sickening. All right. And absolutely decried it from all the leaders in Judea and Samaria and other people as well. So now the prime minister says something. I mean, when the Jews are being attacked, nothing is said. But when Jews act out in a way that is completely abominable and there's just a couple of people, suddenly then that becomes the headlines. And then it looks like, oh, this is just the Jews throwing rocks at the Arabs and the rocks, you know, and it's the Hatfields and McCoys and the plague on both your houses. When it is far from that, I mean, there's no equivalency here. So your take on what's happening here, is this, just to get into a different topic, because we said we cover a lot, is this the death throes of the Palestinian Authority having nothing to do with Israeli elections, even though everything that happens these days has to do with Israeli elections? Every politician opens his mouth is thinking elections. So we're taking everything with pounds of salt. But in terms of why now and why we're suddenly seeing uh, and they've never been the greatest neighbors, but now it's really gotten worse. And of course, we had a soldier killed and another and another security guard who's in grave condition in the last couple of weeks. And. You know, there, there's all that going on. How are you seeing that in terms of our local terrorists, not just our neighbors? Well, you know, um, this surge in terrorism, I mean, the joke is, as you said, uh, it, it becomes so, uh, I don't know, second nature or something, that it becomes like less prominent in the news unless somebody is actually killed. Mm -hmm. If just the terrorist killed after he tried to kill Israelis, that gets uh, let's lower down in the news cycle, right? Um, the and uh, the point is that again we've had many surges. It's not just now we've had many surges, some of which then turn into actual uh, incursions that we need to perform or you know right. operation and not just not just sort of daily not just uh, pinpoint uh, looking for certain yeah, yeah. But um, now we know that the Palestinian Authority is. Um, I mean, Mahmoud Abbas, in the Fatah-run uh, Palestinian Authority, we know that he's a terribly unpopular leader, and he's also old and maybe dying, and we don't even know, but I mean, he's old. Mm -hmm. 
What we also know are there are lots of groups right now. There's a particular gang uh, called the Lion's Den, uh, which prides itself on being not, not affiliated to either Fatah, Hamas or Islamic Jihad. In other words, all of you guys, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're the we're the we're the new gang in town, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um the thing is, I don't know who's going to replace Abbas. It doesn't really matter because evil is evil. Okay. I do remember they used to say, uh, if you if you assassinate uh, uh, Arafat, you're going to get George Habash. Or if you do this, you're going to get that. Like, what? Oh, in other words, the so our choice is the Boston Strangler or Jack the Ripper as the mm-hmm. one. So can you tell me which is worse? No, you need to defeat all of them, both of them. And mm-hmm. so I don't know what's going to happen in the Palestinian Authority, but I'm a little sick of hearing Israelis talk about how we have to save it and rescue it and all that stuff. Right. No, we have to combat it. We have to show it who's boss. We have mm-hmm. to ease up on our overly strict rules of engagement and let our soldiers shoot to kill at the first sign of violence against them. Now, you mentioned the settlers who beat up, who beat up, oh, hit a soldier, and then they beat up some left wing, and that's been making the headlines. I'll tell you something that makes me sick about uh, the way it's being reported. As you point out, no Israeli came out and defended that. Nobody. So you have a group of thugs who are thugs, and because they live in a certain geographical area, they become representative of, of the settlers, all right? As though if the thugs in Tel Aviv beat you up, you'd say to me, oh, the Tel Aviv residents. No. Right. The right. entire country denounced that those people, including the heads of the religious Zionist party. Yes, very said, much so. This is inexcusable. In, mm-hmm. the, in, in contrast, our enemies fund, praise, encourage, right. educate to doing these things. When they kill someone, when they attack someone, he becomes a hero and his family lives on a health, hefty stipend the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but I just read somewhere that sperm smuggling is very oh, yes. in now in the oh, yes. jails. There's yes. over a hundred Terrorists who have had children, they are smuggling their sperm out. I hope this isn't too gross for the audience in resealed potato chip bags to their wives or whoever, who are then bringing these children of terrorists. And they're seeing this as another part of the revolt against Israel. Right. Okay. The the ultimate and conjugal visit, I suppose, without. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Actually, a woman who was on her way to one of those conjugal uh, visits. Uh, stabbed a guard there. She, she, mm-hmm. uh, right with a screwdriver or something. Right, right. Troubling. It's hard to keep track because yes. every single day there are many, many, many such events. Mm-hmm. Many. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't, we, we take it so for granted. That's what's so sad. Right. Many events like this, and the minute they're thwarted or someone is only what they call lightly to moderately, mm-hmm. wounded, doesn't even make the it news. Does, it, it's like not even. You know, I have to search for it at the end of every day. Right. Certain channels that I'll go on. By the way, Telegram right. has some good channels, including in English. They have that app that can get you some information. And then you just see the list of what went on that day. It's unbelievable. Exactly. It's really, really unbelievable. But look, um, one of the things that has to be dealt with is the internal violence within the Arab society. OK, yes. I think we're, there was a 13 year old kid last Friday in, in Jisos Darka, an Arab kid who wanted to buy pizza for his family. Yep. And there's some kind of family feud going on in there. And he yep. was killed. And he was killed by a 15 year old. Right. He was killed by a 15 year old. And every day some other woman is killed by her husband or ex-husband. There's mm-hmm. murders and I don't know, gang wars and drug wars, whatever is out of control, out of control. And the police don't know what to do about it. And the and every (sighs) political party says we're going to combat violence in the Arab sector, et cetera. cetera. It is out of control in a Mm -hmm. way. And that 
interestingly, is causing many of the Arab voters to say, what's the point in going on election day? Because it want, nothing will change. And right. we were promised this and we were promised that by our leaders and et cetera, et cetera. Um, Although I have heard a couple of really honest interviews with some Israeli Arabs who say, it's our, it's our issue. We have a violent society. We can't depend on Israel. At least we're living in Israel where there is some person to turn to because if we're living in any other country, it would be worse. It's just, there's no one to go to at all. Exactly. It would be worse. And they're saying we have to get control of our own values and of our own issues and re-educate as to what's proper behavior and not just like, and that's been very interesting that they were gutsy enough to say that. To say that. But you see, but you see, here's the thing. That's true, but that can't be in a vacuum. What do I mean by that? If you are a citizen of Israel, you should, are subject to the laws of Israel. Mm-hmm. And that means, for example, that if an Arab man says, um, no, I'm allowed to beat up my wife or, you know, because, well, well you know, things like that. Whatever. In our culture, yeah. we say, uh, no, uh, right. I'm honor killing. No, you follow the laws of the state of Israel. What we don't want to have happen is like in England, where these things mm-hmm. go on and then the courts say, oh, you know, go to a Sharia court. That's your, it's like your business. No, it is, it, it's true that they need to educate their society the way you would educate your kids not to litter on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. kind of the kind of things or cross the street at the crosswalk, all those things you wear your suit. Mm-hmm. They have to, it starts in the home. But they go to Israeli schools. We and they and we have Israeli police officers, whether they're Arab Israelis or Jewish Israelis, they're police right. and they should be following the same rules and they should not be afraid mm-hmm. to go in and do what's necessary. And the trouble is because of the ethnic issue, it becomes right. it, it becomes you're they're afraid because then it looks like what big bad Israelis. Uh, exerting power on Arab. Mm-hmm. It, it's this vicious lying propaganda. But we, what mm-hmm. you don't want to have happen is to have a woman who is, you know, or family with honor killings. And we say, well, you know what? That's their culture. They better take care of it. Right. No. no, no, no. We want to put them in jail the way we would put a Jew in jail who kills his wife or his sister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, though, is that I think this is going to impact the Israeli elections. Because you live in Tel Aviv, and I know, which is not usually a stronghold of the right. No. No. Okay. But we're hearing people quietly who, you know, who are saying they're going to vote for Ben Gvir. Like you, the people that you would never in a million years imagine would vote for the party are, you know, do you think they were merits people? Who are just saying like someone has to get control of what's happening here? Are you are you hearing that from some of your I am, neighbors? Or? I, not from my neighbors, no. Um, but I did actually run into two women I don't know. I mean, I was it was in a it was at a salon, you know, a cosmetic salon, mm-hmm. and two women who are the opposite of the type who would vote for the religious Zionists, you know, Ben Gvir and Smoke. Right, Gvir. right. The opposite types. And the, here's the funny story. One of them said to me, so who are we voting for? And I said, I, I don't, I'm not going to tell you because let's not get into that. All right? right. Meaning because I vote Likud and Netanyahu. And they, I said, I just knew as soon as I say that they're going to start attacking me. You know, mm-hmm. I said, let's not. And they let's said, no, 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 no. Tell us, tell us, tell us. So I said Likud and they said, oh, well, we're voting for Ben Gvir. And I burst out laughing. I thought they were. So I said, oh, you know, it was like you have to be hush hush so that Mm -hmm. the uh, chattering classes won't, you know, out of their salons, you know. Yeah, well, that's what the polls are showing in the last couple of weeks, that they're going up at the expense of what we could. There's an internal shift. There aren't really shifts now from camp to camp. There are the typical shift, Lapid to Gantz. Right. You know, like like some of the shifts within within the different camps and and one way or the other, you know, one even one seat or the other, the soldiers votes. uh, Who knows what could change everything? Yeah. Yeah. What we do know is that there are certain parties that if they don't pass the electoral threshold, Mm -hmm. then Netanyahu and Likud is a shoe in to form the next government. 
Mm-hmm. Just don't know if that's going to happen. Okay, we and don't who it's going to be. Right. Because, you know, we also have our uh, people not showing up at the polls. First of all, Likud voters are notorious for not showing up. Which mm-hmm. just goes to show you, if they did show up, the Likud would have even more uh, right. seats. But the point is, it as it happens, Likud voters are notorious for that. And if you're not in the country, you can't vote. There's no absentee ballots. Right. You don't have absentee ballots except for right. diplomats and our soldiers who may Right. Right. But right now, there is, you know, the Arab parties, one of uh, their, you know, one of the Arab parties is not even coming near the electoral threshold, and that's Balad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. And the others, uh, the other two are around four seats. So if they don't get that, they could fall below. Anyway, if they don't, or one of them doesn't, uh, Netanyahu is a shoe in to form the next government. Uh, but that may not happen. By the right. way, you mentioned labor and merit. We don't know, but I mean, uh, I don't know. Merit is uh, sometimes at four or five. It's, it, it's not clear at the moment. Oh, uh, shucks. I won't get to see yeah. Mirav Michaeli as a minister Exactly. Anymore. Speaking of woke mm-hmm. people, speaking yeah. of woke people, Mirav Michaeli is a great example of woke in a way that the old style labor party, you talk about the generational differences. Mm-hmm. The old style labor people were nothing like this. Mm-hmm. Right. Trying to no. change. Is Hebrew to you know feminine gender with everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they also they weren't hypocrites. I don't think. I mean, maybe some of them were. Maybe I'm being wrong. You know, but she she won't say a word if someone who's not it's not convenient for her. Like this old this elderly woman was killed in uh, I think in Cholon by a terrorist right. a few weeks ago. Right. Not a word. You know. So mm-hmm. she picks and chooses what bothers her morally. And that, you know, that's that 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 gets to me. Like, be at least consistent. If you're against murder, be against murder. It doesn't matter who's being murdered, you know, or you're against rape or whatever it is. Like, right. that to me is not right. what feminism is supposed to be. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be too upset if she left. But look, we still have 11 days or so until the elections. Anything can happen. Things that have nothing to do with Israel can change things. If, God forbid, there's some kind of attack or a major thing like that you know, a day or two before, then, you know, look, people vote emotionally also, not just on the issues. A lot of people vote emotionally uh, if they vote at all. And, uh, and you know, things could just really change uh, on issues that are totally out of our control. Even if it rains on voting day, a lot of people just don't go right. out if it's raining because <laughs> we're all made that's, of sugar. That's yeah. true everywhere. That's true everywhere. Yes, you know, yes. You would end up... Uh, you say, oh, you know what? I've got to go to a wedding and it's three hours away and I don't know. Right. And then I don't bother to but whatever. Yes, the people. I'm yeah, on. or I moved and I'm supposed to vote in another town and I don't feel like going there. Or who knows what? Right. Yeah. And people have come up with all kinds of, you know, and they mm-hmm. get lazy and they say it doesn't really matter because blah, right. blah, blah. Because what's my vote? Right. I will tell you some. You, you mentioned that something could happen uh, closer to the election that could change it. Ehud Barak, our former prime minister who, mm-hmm. who wanted to sell Israel, you know, down the tubes, except that the Palestinians launched the, uh, <laughs> the Al-Aqsa Intifada, so-called the suicide bombing war, uh, as mm-hmm. a result of his generous offer. Ehud Barak said this week or a few days ago, I'm not, I can't remember the day, so I don't hope to that, in an interview that Ben Gvir and Netanyahu want a mother and four children to be killed in a terrorist attack because it will help them at the ballot box. Like like Tali Khatuel, way back They want a mother and her four children to be killed. Oh my God. Charming. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying to you is to have people that talk like that about mm-hmm. about what is at least half the population in this country to talk about us that way mm-hmm. is this this is why that the left has to be defeated <laughs> that's mm-hmm. all i can say mm-hmm. right yeah because they can really destroy a lot of things if they're not we'll see what happens boring it will never be at the ballot no. box i know you and i will both be because that's 
we may go in holding our noses or whatever it is, but it's a tremendous privilege and one that we're going yes. to, you know, make yes. sure that we fulfill no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Ruthie Bloom, thank you so much as always. So tell the listeners where they can find your work. Oh, well, um, uh, every week, every Friday, I have a column in the Jerusalem Post, okay. which is online and in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And twice a week, I have columns on Sundays and Tuesdays in JNS.org. And, right. uh, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, so. Okay. And you, like you are tonight on our webinar, someone invited you, wanted you to host some kind, you know, eye-opening thing for their community, available and all that. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Terrific. Thank you so much. And Shana Tova again. And uh, I just hope that, you know, that after the elections, we'll see what happens. But I hope that Israel and the United States, for that matter, the midterm elections uh, are going in positive directions. We can only hope. Okay, everybody, Eve Harrow, thanks to Shauna for being the woman behind the scenes and getting, this was a ladies' night, how nice. Um, and getting and keeping everything going and to an Israel Fund for sponsoring these webinars. As I said, you can find all the past ones and this one will be coming out in a day or two. If you're on our mailing list, you will get it. Otherwise, you can go look at it on the, uh, on the website and tell other people about it. And just stay tuned with, with what we're doing and what's happening here in Israel. Uh, it's a little country, but um, it's a lot going on here that affects everybody in the world. So thank you all for your interest and for your caring. Uh, Eve Harrow for Winners Wealth Fund. Take care, everybody, and goodbye for now. Drama in the Israeli parliament. Israel's caretaker Prime Minister Yair Lapid. Avigdor Lieberman. Israel's Shas Party. Knesset member Itamar Ben Gvir. Benjamin Netanyahu. Israeli Elections 2022. Hear in depth analysis, interviews, and historical perspective. Get the real story on the Knesset elections on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.